and we uh, started running across this field. And I was holding my grandmother's hand again. Every once in a while, um, a bomb would go off. And my older brother said, what is going on? Welcome to Once Upon a Line, the podcast about beautiful words and the lasting impact they have on us. I'm Rosie Fernandez. This is an extra special podcast for me because I talk to one of my favorite authors about one of my favorite works of literature. Joseph Curtis is here with Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Joe is the award-winning author of several books. His most recent, Last Impressions, came out in 2020. He founded the Distinguished Creative Writing and Comedy Programs at Humber College, which is where I first met him <clears throat> years ago. He's here to talk about the impact of love, war, and the writing life. Do you mind reading for me the passage that, that awakens your heart, the passage that means so much to you? Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. Well, I chose uh, the opening of Romeo and Juliet because it's so pithy and there's so much in it and so much of the theme uh, resonates with me. Because in the first six lines of the play, he gives you the entire plot of the play. Yeah, there was a, a, a film version of this where the way they filmed the death scene He's, he's, he's asleep, she kills herself, he wakes up. But the way it's done, when I watch that, I really think that the ending's going to be different. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but I'm like, oh, no, they're going to stop it. Like, there's just a moment of hope. So sometimes, you know, giving away the plot and knowing the story, yeah. still, there's still that hope and belief in that brief moment. The genius in this kind of thing, and, and it's been copied ever since, but the genius in this kind of thing is to... Um, tell everybody that, that these two people are going to die and to have people still hope that they won't. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a te technique that's been repeated, you know, uh, Joshua then and now by Mordecai Richter, uh, you know, the man is lying in his coffin and the whole book long, you think, Oh, I hope he makes it. I hope this doesn't happen, but you know, he's dead. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very, you have to be very skilled and artful to pull this off, which of course mm -hmm. was. Yes, tell me why you like this one. Well, it's so simple in a way. I mean, two young people fall in love because it is love. And they don't get that you're not supposed to do that. Um, you're not supposed to cross the floor and fall in love, but it's love. Love doesn't understand that. Uh, and and so uh, my, my whole life I, I've struggled with this notion of that love transcends differences. I realize now, I've now written eight books. It appears in all my books, love transcends differences. I mean, that, that goes for brothers too or whoever uh, sisters uh it's uh i have an older brother for example I, the two of us couldn't be more different uh and yet you know um i still love him you know i have a younger brother and we're very similar and yet you know i love my two brothers equally i love this notion of this very powerful emotion called love transcending differences and i'm also fascinated by the notion of the outsider you know i myself um, was a refugee. We escaped when I was a young boy, not even five yet. We escaped uh, Hungary uh, during the revolution against the Russians. The Hungarians rose up against the Russians. And for a, a matter of weeks, um, the border opened and uh, Hungarians fled like mad, including 
my family and including me. Uh, and uh, so I was a refugee to Canada and, you know, I'm a Jew as well. So I have felt like an outsider for a lot of my life. And um, so it, it, it warms my heart when someone who wasn't a refugee and wasn't Jew and who was some just somebody else. And I really see eye to eye because we all have the same basic uh, instincts. You know, we, we all cherish love and we all have hope and we all have fears and we all have the same nightmares and all these things. And so the universals are far more important than the, the individual differences. Tell me about how you made it to Canada. You know, it was a funny time. It was 1956 and, uh, the Russians liberated Hungary from the Germans in 1945. Uh, there was a Nazi occupation, and, and the Russians liberated Hungary, but never left. So they squatted on Hungary, as they did on a number of other countries like Poland and Czechoslovakia. But uh, finally, in 1956, October of 1956, the, the uh, uh, brave Hungarians, especially young Hungarians, rose up against the Russians. And uh, though they were crushed, uh, they were very heroic and uh, and uh, I think the world felt really guilty. So people fled, and we fled by night, by foot across the border into Austria. In fact, I have vivid memories of it and tried to capture some of it in my novel, The Afterlife of Stars. But I remember, um, just if, I mean, if you're interested, there's, there's vivid scenes still in my mind, and I'm quite a bit older, I assure you. Uh, the, uh, I, was, I went to this kind of um, preschool activity. I'd only just gotten there, and my grandmother came to get me 10 minutes later. And so were other parents and grandparents arriving, too. And I thought, what is going on here? And they were just taking their kids out. And I was taken out, too. And my grandmother gripped me by the hand. And, and we walked uh, up this grand boulevard in Budapest called Andrashi Boulevard. And there was a massive crowd gathered there. And I didn't know what was going on. And my grandmother said, come with me. Come this way. But we had to pass this massive crowd. And I didn't know what all the commotion was all about. And she tried to get me to not look. but then. I looked up, and there was a, uh, at the octagon, which is where the boulevards met, there was a Hungarian soldier hanging from every single lamppost. And I, oh uh, and I looked up, and, and just ab above me, you know, 20 feet above me, there was this young uh, soldier, probably 18 years old. I still remember what he looked like. He had red hair and, and green eyes, and they were wide open, his eyes, and he was looking straight at me. I thought we were kind of communicating. I didn't realize until much later that he was dead. Uh, and so we got home and we, um, uh, everybody was scrambling around. My older brother was, was scrambling around too. And he said that we were leaving. I said, where are we going? And, and, uh, we rushed to the railway station. Uh, we, we packed a few things, rushed to the railway station where there were once again, massive people, uh, hundreds and thousands of people. And we crowded onto a train, um, and uh, where, where, you know, we were pressed against the windows and all that sort of thing. And the, and it was already night and the train, uh, stopped uh, at this, in, you know, be between two towns, and it was a field. It was dark, and uh, my and the conductor said everybody off, and hundreds and hundreds of Hungarians got off, including us, and we uh, started running across this field. And I was holding my grandmother's hand again, and uh, every once in a while, um, a bomb would go off. And my older brother said, "What is going on?" He kept looking up, and nobody was dropping bombs, and uh, he said, "What is going on?" and, and Nobody would tell him. So finally he said, I'm not taking another step until you tell me. And, and apparently we were, wow. my grandmother said, we're crossing a minefield. And so we, so there were people stepping on landmines and blowing up. Um, but anyway, I'll never forget this because we, 
after about an hour, we got to the, uh, to the other side of this field. And there was this big lamppost and light was on. And, uh, I thought, Oh my God, there's light. And, and my dad said, uh, everyone, this is Austria. And I, and I remember thinking we ran, we did all this and ran all this way for this crappy country with this lamppost, you know? Um, and, mm-hmm. and we were free, you know, we made it to Vienna and, uh, I think the world felt very guilty about Hungary being uh, overtaken by the Russians. And so the capitals of the world opened up their doors to us, opened up their arms to us. And if you went to the Vienna bus station, there was a a bus with uh, the capitals of Europe marked on each one. You could just get on any one you wanted, the capital of Switzerland or London or Paris, and get on it, and it would take you there. And we came to Canada. We went to England first and then to Canada, where my father had a cousin. And... uh, and he, you know, he took us in and he set us up and, uh, and it, life has been grand ever since. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if we should go down this road, but you must have, I don't know. You must have PTSD. No. Well, uh, I, I think I you probably- don't have to discuss it if you don't want to. It's extremely <laughs> personal. I know, but I just, my heart, my heart feels for you. Oh my God. And so yeah, I, young. I had, you know, I had dreams about uh, the Hungarian soldier about a hundred times in my life, you know, yeah. but. Yeah, I, I guess I do have PTSD, as we all must have, really. Mm. But my mm-hmm. parents were much, you know, much war, worse war um, before I was born. World War II was much more terrible. Um, anyway, uh, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to get out from under the shadow of that because, uh, and that's partly why why being an outsider is ingrained in me too, because um, I never felt, you know, I always feel. Of course, I feel at home in Canada. You couldn't, we couldn't have come to a better place. My dad always said we won the lottery coming here. You know, my dad said, it's it's such a great place. Uh, my mom said, yeah, but you always know where your code is. Um, so meaning, mm-hmm. you know, we could, if we had to run again, grab your coat and go. Um, so there's always this, this uh, tiny niggling feeling inside one that, um, that you're still an outsider, which is what makes me so interested in um outsiders meeting and falling in love and know know that there's no such thing as the other going back to romeo and juliet how old were you when you first read the play grade nine so in high and you know junior high and i really took to it i mean we also read other plays by him and and other plays have a similar theme king lear certainly and hamlet and uh henry the fourth i mean the theme recurs in shakespeare too but I, 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 I've realized that over the years, I've always been uh, attracted to, I mean, I studied English for nine years at university, foolishly, but uh, <laughs> I've always been attracted to this theme. So I love, I love love stories like Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre and Withering Heights and Tess of the D'Urbervilles by uh, Thomas Hardy and Anna Karenina, this whole great Tolstoy masterpiece. And the late, my latest love is Sarah Waters' book, Fingersmith. Oh, I love that book. Incredible book, incredible yeah. piece of work. But what I love about them is it is it, I seem to be drawn to this for the same reason, which is that people uh, are different and they discover one another and they fall in love despite their differences. So there it is again, you know. Um, so I'm fascinated by this this theme, and and obviously I find it as gripping as I always have. And so I understand that you are a Romeo of your own. <laughs> the Romeo and Juliet happened to you. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. I, I uh, so it's a weird thing, you know, because when I uh, I fell in love with 
a Greek Canadian girl. She was born here, but I fell in love with a Greek Canadian girl. You know, it sounds strange today because now we've gone f- further left or liberal, I should say. But it, you know, it was a time when you know um, my you know my mother. You have to appreciate she was a fantastically wonderful, cheerful person. But my mother lost you know both her parents and six siblings were murdered, and so for her they died for because of who they were born as. And so for her, um, voluntarily crossing the floor and, and marrying outside the faith meant that it was a, a form of rejection of the faith. And all three of us, all three boys, married outside the faith. So for her, it was a kind of, you know, she loved all the all our wives and so on and so forth. But for her, it was a flagrant rejection of, of her past. Um, you know, she once said in a very, very bad moment, it was so, so unlike her that, she was sitting in our place beside the Christmas tree, and she said, um, uh, and we had put a, a star of David on top of the Christmas tree uh, to make it a Hanukkah bush as well as a Christmas mm-hmm. tree. She said, my mother died wearing that star. And it was the most horrible moment. I mean, it was horrible because my dad said, what are you saying now? And and, and a huge fight ensued, and she ended up leaving, which, I, you know, she was in a bad state. Um, health-wise and so uh you know it explained you know she and she never lived it down she feels so ashamed and there are sects of judaism and, and christianity by the way that would not accept helen as a jew quote unquote uh so they they think that i've left the faith i and that my children are not jewish because i've left the faith that's i mean they actually believe that i mean they're i mean as far as i'm concerned they're idiotic you know but but that's that's just their their uh, ardent belief what is the solution like how how can people be reminded that we are one or that um that love can conquer all you know what it's an interesting phenomenon but in a place a place like toronto and i and i by the way i worked at humber college for 35 years too there are 100 nationalities in humber college and there are probably almost 200 in toronto i mean toronto has often been called the most cosmopolitan city in the world um, which is where I, most of my books are set are in Toronto. But uh, it, it's a perfect opportunity because your next-door neighbor might well be somebody quite different from you uh, on the outside, but but really different, same as you on the inside. So Canada is the perfect experiment because it's kind of the last frontier in a sense because people do get to mix and they do get to see that, oh, you know what, we're really not that different. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that wasn't a fair question. It was quite quite a big, but you did a great. But Juliet, what is your most favorite way of consuming that play? Do you like to read it? Do you like to see it performed live? Well, uh, I mean, I have to say that the, the additional thrill in reading Shakespeare is that the language is so sublime. I mean, he was so great. <laughs> I can't, I can't, say, I mean, if every time I, I try my hand at writing, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Uh, read King Lear, forget it, you know? <laughs> and if I can, I steal from Shakespeare left and right. And he's not the only one, by the way. But uh, of course, I love to see it. And we saw it last time in Stratford, Ontario. And, and I loved it, although it was a bit too comic for my taste. I mean, the director wanted to make light of it, but 
I can't imagine a more tra tragic theme. So uh, it came across as slightly ditzy to me. But, you know, um, I, I love to see it live, but I actually love sitting with Shakespeare's texts. And I had the great advantage. I don't think I would ever have done this um, otherwise. But I had the pleasure of studying Shakespeare. I took at least three Shakespeare courses at university. And and uh, I remember this this incredible professor I had at U of T in graduate school called Sheldon Zittner, who's no longer with us, I'm afraid. But he sat down and he said, uh, at, at the first class, he said, um, I'm not interested in why Hamlet resembles Adam. I'm interested in why he's human. Why is he human? And it became a, a tremendous way to approach the plays. I mean, there's a great book by Harold Bloom called Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human. It's a masterpiece of literary criticism, by the way. Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human. And it goes through how, how well Shakespeare and how profoundly Shakespeare understood human beings. Um, so in addition to having that exquisite poetry of his, there is that a deep understanding of the dark and light places of human beings. So uh, I love I love the pleasure of reading Shakespeare. And you're gonna think this is very uh, corny, but we had a friend uh, who who was, happened to be a PhD in English, who also worked at Humber, but she had Shakespeare play reading parties at her house, and it was a you know it was a potluck, and you brought stuff, and we were each assigned a role, and we spent the evening reading the play out loud. And uh, it was it was a lot more fun than it sounds. It was really no, good. no, no. That sounds like my ideal evening. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> Actually, on, on April twenty third, you know the uh, yeah. book day. I always I always read aloud to my family, and I make them join in. So yeah, I am right on board with you. I would love to attend a party like that. You should set up a group. I, you know, people people are surprised at how much fun it is. You know, so and also hearing Shakespeare is important because I say I love to read to him, but hearing the lyricism of the writing is important but he's not the only one incidentally there are many great writers and poets uh who are like that but you know uh, i i i read you know that i took a course uh, a graduate course called milton and we spent the whole year on john milton we spent the whole first semester reading paradise lost when would you read paradise lost if not for a course like that you know so yeah. it, was, it was great yeah, I am also an English major, so I uh, I understand and I'm on board and I <laughs> I would also enjoy all of those things. Um, why did you choose to study literature? How did you become a reader? I always did love reading, and my uh, it's it's partly my father's fault because my father was was a great reader, but he was also a tremendous storyteller. You know, there were three three boys in the family. I was the one who listened to all his stories, and he was a spellbinding storyteller. So. I love the power of the story, you know, um, even sort of relatively lousy stories like, um, you know, miniseries on Netflix or whatever, which are kind of lousy. You still want to know what happens if you're invested in characters. I still want to know if they're going to come out okay, you know. It's it's almost, a, you know, uh, it's an obsession in a sense. So I love storytelling and I love, um, uh, I was the guy who, who, you know, around a campfire would love to hear and tell stories that captivated other people. Um, and um, it's it's through stories that I, I really realized that we connect, we really do connect. You know, the last two words of Howard's End by E.M. Forrester is only connect. And it's, it's like, it's so, that's it. I mean, here's the thing about stories is that if you read Jane Eyre, for example, you realize that 
we are not we're I'm completely connected with the characters of Jane of Jane Eyre just as she is connected with me so I think stories link us horizontally meaning across cultures across all the countries of the world and vertically through time so we're connected with these people who are exactly like us in 1550 or 1790 and and it's a it's a, a, a cathartic wonderful moment to to make that connection um so that's why and i and i just i just thought that what a, what an incredible um uh, power to have uh to to share with one another what a gift to share with one another the power of the story to be honest with you i i actually think a literature is not the superior art I, I do think music is the superior art but i, I just didn't have that any kind of gift in music and uh, <laughs> i have a gift for listening to music but i don't and I, I music is my favorite art because music connects you automatically without having to translate anything um and so it's a uh, there's something again sublime about music but music is poetry is about as close to music as an art can get i think mm -hmm. what about in your own writing how did these this theme this this powerful idea of of connection um, bringing the other together um, how how did that influence your work or how has it shown up in your writing so um, you know I I'm I guess I I, I would say um, I'm trying to be less and less so but I guess I, I'm 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 kind of an autobiographical writer in in the truest sense uh, my first novel Winter Tulips uh, was about you know a a Jewish guy crossing the floor and marrying a Greek Canadian girl. So it, it I mean, however, I, I have to say, and it's, it's important to me to recognize this too, is I use those stories as, as starting points um, only. So they're just starting points and they take their own trajectory, uh, actually. Um, you know, um, Boardwalk, my second novel was about two brothers driving to Atlantic City to gamble for a weekend. And one brother is very much like my older brother, and the other one's very much like me, and uh, and that was that's where the uh, similarities end because while they're similar characters to him and me, I uh, I sent them on an experimental journey uh, outside of their lives and marriages and all this stuff to Atlantic City to 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 test them and challenge them, and it was so much fun. It's a comedy, but it was so much fun. But I, I I'll tell you one novel the afterlife of stars my second last novel uh was was that story i began to tell you about how we escaped from hungary and I, I had this idea for the story and for the first time ever i had a really clear plan as to where i would go i wrote down uh i ended up with 18 study cards uh, each uh featuring a chapter that was going to appear in the novel so 18 chapters i thought i wrote out the whole story quite um carefully and meticulously and this has never happened to me before to this extent but i put the two brothers down and i made them twice as old as my older brother and i were uh, and uh, began to tell that story about the escape from hungary but the, the book took off on me and it it decided it had its own story to tell and the two brothers the two protagonists had a different story to tell and it took me on a journey that i never thought i was going on it was nothing like the journey we took except for the very beginning and um and i decided what what the hell i mean i have a full-time job certainly heaven forbid i don't make a living writing uh so i uh i put you know i put them on this path and i was basically running after them and writing down what they were saying and they you know i was in the back seat of the car and they were driving so it was a it ended up in a completely different place from where i had 
imagined I was going. And I, I gave myself permission to do this. I thought, okay, just go with it. And if it, if this chapter is stupid or if this character doesn't work out, we can always throw them out at the end. If nobody want, wants to publish it, that's okay too. Uh, but the book uh, was had its own kind of magic. I found that I was almost channeling those voices. And uh, it was a, quite an experience. I've had that to some extent in all the books, but that one was crazy. It was crazy, wildly flew out of my hands. Some of it's quite mythic, actually, which I quite loved. I mean, there's a chapter in there that takes place in the Paris sewers. The two brothers end up in the Paris sewers. I mean, I, I thought, what the hell? <laughs> and, and I kept saying, okay, just go with it. Just go with it. And I did. And that's what, still one of my favorite chapters, the Paris sewer chapter. Well, that that it sounds like an exciting adventure as a writer, but also as a reader. But to have the character that fully formed that uh, you're just listening, that's that's an amazing experience. Congratulations on that, Joseph. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, is there anything else that you want to talk about that I didn't ask about? Is there something that you would like to say? Well, I would just want to say that my latest novel, Last Impressions, uh, had a different trajectory, but it was it was inspired by my father, who was a larger-than-life character. Uh, but he was so unaware of himself that he was hilarious i mean he was for example the worst driver on the planet so it's funny if I, so what i want to say is that i i actually might prefer comedy i have a kind of comic view of the world so i love comedy i don't think comedy is easy at all but it's the way i view the world anyway so it's a mixture of both comedy and tragedy that book so it's another form of experimentation for me uh, but anyway what, what i what i want to say is that because many, many people have asked me um, uh, that, you know, they want to become writers and they they have great stories to tell. And my answer always to them is that the whole point of writing is to write it, just to write it, because the greatest pleasure is in getting it down. It's not in, believe it or not, it's not in getting it published. It's not in people praising you. It's, those, those are egotistical things. They have nothing to do with the the reason for the creation of the work in the first place. In the end, it doesn't even matter if, Anyone reads it, as long as you've got it off your chest kind of thing. So it's a great cathartic experience to write books. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Very welcome, Rosie. That was Joseph Curtis, an award-winning author and all-around fine fellow. Special thanks to Natalie Curtis and to my brother Pablo for the tunes. Are you ready to share your favorite quote? Write to me at onceuponalinepodcast at gmail.com or tell me on Instagram at onceuponalinepodcast. I'm Rosie Fernandez. Until next time, happy reading.